Hello, and welcome to episode 116 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, May 25th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Great. How are you? I'm I'm going to be cheerful and say I'm loving the the May gray that we are experiencing. I know. I have wool on. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yes. And it it seems like it's going to go right into June gloom. I think so. But that's that's it's what happens. Sw- it's sweater weather. <laughs> sweater weather. <laughs> it, it that is difficult to say. <laughs> that is. May is winding down, which means things are getting a little less wackily busy. Thank goodness. Almost. Thank- sort of. Theoretically. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it has been it has been super fun, but very busy and lots of things going on. My child, boy one, has been here and gone. He is off on his summer adventures. Boy two is finishing up all his big things and now just has finals to get through. Yep. This so. time next week, we will both have seniors again oh my gosh (laughs) i yeah that's just i have one now it's pretty great that's that's just wild yeah (laughs) boy two had his his spring concert at school they gave red roses to all the seniors to wear and they all got to thank their their arts teachers and it was really sweet and we hadn't gone last year because he wasn't in choir and so we hadn't seen it so it was really sweet it did make the whole evening last much longer than I expected, but I am sure next year when I have a senior, I will be very thankful. It was really nice, but a little wild. Yeah. That we're going to be there again. It is a really exciting stage of life to have the kids finding their way and making some choices on their own and making small mistakes. And <laughs> it's all pretty joyful, I have to say. I I think teenagers are awesome, and I just so appreciate watching them become the people who they're going to become. I just think it's really cool. It is. Very true. But unlike life, our podcast is staying pretty <laughs> pretty true to form. No big changes, except we do have bingo. It is. We have bingo. Bingo starts tomorrow, which will be last Friday or later by the time you all hear this. Well, we're going to put it on. Instagram so that everybody has a fresh 2023 bingo card with all the new and exciting squares. Yep. I've already had several people reach out to me and ask for the PDF version, which you can absolutely do. And I've emailed those out. So yeah, people are getting ready. It's very exciting. And we will talk about that more at the end of the episode. But first we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table and on the nightstand. So should we dive in? Away we go. On the needles. A couple of like events and announcements kind of things. I'm sure most of you have heard this already, but just in case you haven't, and Courtney and I wanted to have a moment to mourn. No more stitches. Yeah, our 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 big Sacramento. Well, all of them. Right. Well, we, you know, we so proudly... (laughs) went live from Sacramento in our hotel pillow fort, they have decided to not go forward with the stitches. Well, I mean, they went bankrupt. Yeah. Well, I was just trying to be. (laughs) I mean, they didn't really have a choice. Right. Um, And it it did not, it did not go down well. There are a lot of, 
small crafters and teachers and vendors who are going to be out a lot of money and it is it is not a pretty thing for them aside you know from our own sadness of not being able to go but luckily there are many smaller events on the west coast there's a new one starting in seattle this august which looks really cool i don't know that i will make it up there for that but certainly in the future there's lamb town in dixon which is nearish to Sacramento in October. There's one up in the wine country that I'm interested in. I think September, there's one up in Lake Tahoe, which could be delightful. Um, so there's there's definitely lots of options. And yeah, maybe, maybe next year will be the year of Rhinebeck. Let's see. Let's see what yeah, happens. 2024. Yep. Yeah. I, I just have to say, though, that Stitches gave us as podcasters in particular, a really great opportunity to explore some of Sacramento that we would not necessarily have explored. While we could have spent 24-7-ish inside of the convention hall, we really made, we made efforts to get out and about. I don't know that I would have gone to that museum had we not put ourselves up there for three days, you know? Yeah. It has been a great learning experience to no matter where, like explore a town and see the kinds of things that I love to see. And yeah, I'm actually, we're headed to like a little Southern California trip this weekend to look at colleges with my now fresh high school senior. And I told him, well, we have to go and check out this spot and this museum. And he's also really into German pretzels. So I have looked up every German restaurant <laughs> from here to San Diego. They're mostly beer gardens. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's okay. <laughs> but it should be fun. But all to say, Sacramento was a great... It was a really easy, fun experience. Yeah, it was yeah. such a fun city to for us to explore and and really learn to appreciate in a different way than... The train museum and mm. <laughs> the kings. I don't know. I don't know what else we would have. Yeah. yeah. No, it was good. A little bit of sadness there. Um, but there are lots of other things to keep up with. The four-day sweater knit along is coming back from Marie Green. It is a, a knit t-shirt this year, which is not quite my style. I was pondering it. So I don't think I'm going to do it this year, but I thought... Or throw it out there in case people are interested. This is her sixth, seventh time she's done this. The original goal was to knit a sweater in four days, and it has it has morphed. You get more days if you're doing a larger size. You really, it's just do whatever you like. It's it's about the community. It's about pushing yourself. Maybe if you want to, it's about knitting a cute sweater. You know what it looks like beforehand. You know what yarn it's made out of. There's plenty of dyers that are doing special colors for it and have, you know, yarn that'll work like Miss Babs and lots of uh, smaller independent ones as well. So it's a really fun event, but I think I will be skipping it this year. But let me know if you are joining in the fun. It sounds like a bingo square. It does rather. It's got to fit Something. four or five different. <laughs> <laughs> and then... It is the time of year that all of the holiday countdown boxes are going on sale. I've seen a lot of them go by already. More are still coming by every day. What's a holiday countdown box? Also known as an advent calendar, but a lot of them are trying to get away from the, the Christmassy oh. aspect of it. So countdown, usually for the month of December, you get a certain number of mini skeins, usually 24. Some of them are 12. 
and some of them come with patterns, some of them come with stuff, some of it is just yarn, all sorts of fun stuff. So if you are interested, now is the time to be on the lookout because most of them are pre-orders because they're very time and labor intensive for the dyers. So they mm. they do it now, you pay now, and then you get it later. This is where I interject my ultimate wish for an art countdown box of some kind. And I know there are a couple of big manufacturers who make one, but come on, indies, I am here for it. Somebody's got to do one. Um, but I did also want to say that I am I have also been lured into doing a Halloween countdown one from For- Forbidden Fiber because it is clue themed. And not only do you get so much yarn, it is 12 mini skeins and a full skein of yarn and a pattern and a bag and stitch markers and some other goodies. It's going to be amazing. Plus, there's little mystery clues. And if you figure out who saw, who is the murderer, you'll be entered in a drawing. So as of today, May 25th, it was still available for pre-order on the Forbidden Fiber website. And that link will be in the show notes if you're interested. There's also a crochet version. There's a cross-stitch version. So lots of ways to get involved. I think it was the murder mystery part of it that really, really got me uh, interested. Because, I mean, Clue, how fun is that? That is so fun. Knitting and a mystery, like delightful so i'm very excited about that one i'm delighted about it it's like a little pre-birthday present to me right and october i mean it's so cool that it's not haunted house you know what i mean it's yeah it's such a great theme for october it is i'm impressed i think the only difficulty is going to be that it is supposed to ship out september 1st which means i will have it a decent amount in advance and then i have to sit and look at it I'm not entirely sure like when you get the pattern, if it comes in. I, I feel like you're going to have to order it. So I guess you have to... You could park it at my house wait for a for month. Pattern. Mm, maybe. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Anyway, actual knitting. Actual knitting. I finished the Gramps sweater by Tin Can Knits in Knit Picks Swish Worsted in Mimic and Marble Heather. Uh, so a gray, lovely, just basic gray and a really dark blue. It is an adorable pattern. I made it in a 6 to 12 month size, but it comes a size smaller and goes up to, I don't know, adult 3XL, all the sizes, as is true of most Tin Can Knits patterns. And so this one is a cute little cardigan with contrasting color shawl collar and cuffs and hem and pockets and elbow patches, people. (laughs) It's adorable. The elbow patches. It is, it is ridiculously adorable. And so the best part of it was I got to give it to the the new mom in person because we went out there and saw them. I had picked this pattern because it totally looked like something her husband would wear. He would absolutely. And when I gave it to her, she totally got that. And she took it over to her husband and he's like, oh, yeah, I would 100% wear that. <laughs> absolutely. So that felt very successful. And I was really pleased. Bravo. Yeah, so hopefully it'll, I mean, the point is that it will fit the baby this upcoming fall and winter and and spring. So I think, I think it'll work. Uh, But yes, the, the giving of the gift went very well. So that was exciting, even if, you know, the actual sweater wearing doesn't, doesn't happen or I don't know, doesn't fit him for a while. But yeah, I was working on that up to the last minute because I didn't have any buttons or grow grain ribbon to, to back the buttons with. So the morning of, I went to Joanne's to try and find stuff. Their button selection is not fantastic. I mean, it's easily accessible. That's why I went. I was not going to be searching around for 
gorgeous, amazing buttons. I feel like they used to have a better selection. Yeah. And they really didn't. There are very few cute buttons, at least at the, the store that I went to. I mean, they had them, but they were either giant or... Anyway, it all worked out. I found some cute ones. I found some cute ribbon. And um, yeah, it, it went very well. You know, Mood Fabric has an awesome online store. I've been buying fabric from them. Oh, okay. And they have some incredible accessories, buttons, ribbon, mm. that kind of thing. I mean, you're trusting you're trusting your computer screen to display an accurate color. But so far, everything that's landed has been almost exactly what I thought it was going to be. Nice. Yeah. That also involves advanced planning, but yeah. It does. If I can get my act together, then that is a good option to consider. Unfinished things, grid lines, I have made no progress. Courtney just looked at it this morning, and I think I've made some decisions that will all involve ripping back, and I just... I haven't been able to make myself do it yet, but I will. And and we will get there. That is that is my sideways knit sweater that I did not plan well and I did not have enough yarn and I had to order some more yarn and because it is hand dyed and amazing, it does not match my other yarn. So, yeah, I mean, sleeve to sleeve, I I could tell that there was a minuscule difference, but then when you look on the sleeve with the new stuff. It's much more visible. That was kind of interesting to me, actually. Yeah. Like, I didn't really see it until yeah. I saw the joint. <laughs> I had to, I, because I, I just held it up for her to look at it. She's like, I don't see anything, which is kind of an answer in and of itself and a good one. But I knew that it that there were it was noticeable at some point. So I'm trying to flip it around and go into different light, and she's still not seeing it. It wasn't until I really held, held out, the full sleeve. The sleeve. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. and I was like, oh, yeah. And if I <laughs> if I would contemplate taking it apart, yeah. So we will, we will work on that one later. Um, what I have been working on is my Mahali toe up sock. Uh, which is patterned by Earth Yarns in their unique yarn in color 66, which is rainbowish. I don't usually do toe-up socks for myself, but because it is such a long striping pattern, it's not, you know, like three or four stripes and then it just repeats. It kind of is almost not exactly a gradient, but the striping pattern continues through the whole cake of yarn. So in order to get as many colors as possible... I'm doing it toe up so I can just keep on going. And I think they'll be pretty long. So I'm not in love with this pattern for various reasons. If I hadn't knit toe up socks before or socks at all, it would be a little hard to follow. I feel like they're leaving out a couple of instructions that might be nice to have. And it's only because I kind of know how things are supposed to work that I'm figuring it out. I mean, it's it fits. It's working. I don't know that it's the best choice for my my foot. But I am, because of all the track meets and spring concerts and whatnot, and because my other project is not workable during TV knitting, I've gotten a lot done and I am, I don't know, maybe halfway up the leg on the first sock. So I've done the whole foot, I've turned the heel, and now I'm just knitting, knitting, knitting. And I think it's the leg is supposed to be, I think it says something like 12 inches of leg, which is a lot. So it might actually end up being a knee sock and then another three inches of cuff. We will see what happens. But right now it's just knitting, so it's very, very easy. 
to do. And I'm really enjoying how the colors are all coming out. There's a lot of changes and it's it's definitely different from anything that I would normally knit, but I'm enjoying it. But I'm sort of feeling like I want to have a different TV knitting project. Socks feel like my in the purse project. And if I keep knitting on it this much, then I'm going to be done with it. <laughs> then I'll have to pick another sock pattern, which is a really weird thought to be having about your knitting projects that you don't want to finish it because then you have to start a new one. I don't know. I haven't knit socks in front of the TV in a while. It feels feels wrong somehow, but it's not. Well, you have a different application for your socks. That's all. Yeah. So we will see. But I also, it would be good since they are going to be so tall. It does take a while. So it, it also does sort of feel like a more of a, a regular knitting project than, than just a, a portable one. So we will see. Mostly I have been trying to work on my dark academia sweater. It is beautiful and I am so happy with it. It is a pattern by Sharon Hartley. The yarn is, well, the main color yarn is from Porter Wool Company in the colorway Huntress, which is a beautiful dark green. And the contrast color is from Serendipidae in Blossom, which is a peachy pinky loveliness. Oh, good together. Oh, it's so beautiful. And so the, the pattern is, it looks like the outline of Gothic windows, and it's going to be all over the entire sweater and the sleeves. It is beautiful. You have to pay attention, but it does make sense. And once you get the pattern going, you can tell what the stitches should be doing. So if you mess up and, you know, do your main color and it's supposed to be the contrast, if you don't catch it right away, you're definitely going to catch it on the next round, which is fine, but it's very... You know, you want to keep doing it to see what the next round is going to look like. I haven't gotten to the sleeve split yet. I think I have maybe 10 more rows and then a few more. Have not checked to see if it's how close or how far away I am to the this it being the proper length. I'm just <laughs> enjoying it. I did slip it on over my head to make sure that it did go over my head. And so far, so good. So, yeah, so I'm really enjoying working on that. I'm trying to block out a little bit of time every afternoon, kind of at the later in the day, but before we start with dinner and kid pickup and all that stuff, just because it, it does take concentration and, and light. Being able to see what I'm working on is also really nice. So yes, yeah, so I'll put on a little audiobook and work on that for a while. And it's, it's really good. And it was funny because apparently dark academia is also a thing in the book world. I was listening to a little podcast and there's so many of them coming out now. And I mean, I have I've read several of the ones that were discussed in that, in oh, that episode. Fun. So yeah, so I feel I feel part of a zeitgeist, I guess. Is that the, yeah. that the word? So yeah, I'm so trendy, but I'm very excited. And I don't know when I will be able to wear this sweater. I mean, I guess if this weather continues, I can I can wear it when I'm when I'm done. But yeah, that's that's the knitting. What is on the easel? Well, I'm happy to report that my piece for the Pulp Fiction show is on its way to Seattle, which was after like 24 hours of searching for bubble wrap. I think we had recycled any that we had in our house. And it was it's like really hard to buy new bubble wrap. So the piece is off in the mail and the show is in mid-June. And I'm really excited about it. It's called Notes on Migration. And it is wildflowers and a rough bird and a 
African butterfly that has a big migration area and then wildflowers that are found from the tip of South Africa all the way up into Scandinavia. And I really like it. I think it's, oh, and there's a typewriter because they're typing up their notes on migration. Of course. Obviously. It's gouache on paper. It's kind of a smaller piece, eight by 10. And I framed it in a repurposed frame and it has the original glass in it. And you can see that this glass is hand poured, like you, it's not machine manufactured. And I think that that adds this whole other layer to it. If it is purchased, I hope. I made a note on the back that it's reclaimed glass and I hope that they understand the, like I, I would have hate to have purchased a new piece of glass for this. I don't know. Environmentally, it makes sense in my brain. That's notes on migration. When does that show run? I think it's just a really short window in the middle of June in their upstairs gallery. And it's hosted by Sugar Wall Gallery in a, um, in a collective in Seattle. I think it's pretty short, like a weekend or something. Oh, okay. But all of our Seattle people, you can go see it in person. Yeah, I will put the I will put the pertinent details when I do like a final post of that piece. And then I've been working on the painting of my brother's house. He was out here visiting for the milestone birthday party that we had for my husband. And we made some tweaks to the design and I am not uh, a um, architectural renderer. And so my perspective, I don't know if any of you have looked at a, any of my house paintings, but they definitely have a like a charming level of wonk happening because I really try not to use a straight line. I try to just hand draw everything so that if it has a wobble or a tilt, that it's authentic to my style. So it's really hard to draw this piece for my brother and have it be visually accurate, but still my style. Because if I start drawing with a ruler, I'm going to get myself into trouble because I am not a perspective heavy artist. Yeah, you're not trying to do an exact right. replica. This is an artist's rendering. Yeah. Yeah. So I th- I'm fighting with a little bit of a roof line problem right now, but I think I'm going to leave it and let them. He can use a level when he builds it, basically. Yeah. And then it's been crazy, busy, picking up kids from college and moving them back in and getting them started with job, all of the stuff of life. And so my little side fascination for the studio has been pheasants because when in doubt, find a bird. And so I've been looking at pheasants and drawing them in my sketchbook. And it has me very aware that when I come back from this road trip to look at schools with my younger son, that June is wide open for me. I have no commissions due in June. I am way behind on my original plans and ideas from the beginning of the year. And so June is an opportunity to reassess, reboot, whatever you want to call it, and really just draw. And by draw, I mean paint or collage or whatever, whatever I'm feeling. So I'm hoping to really have a productive June when it comes to art. Because the last three months have been (laughs) super busy, joyful busy, but not so much in the art department. So the easel is kind of empty, but 
Look out, June. Exciting. Okay, on the table, I cooked meat again. (gasps) So exciting. So Smitten Kitchen, in her newsletter from, I guess, probably two weeks ago, featured these smashed chicken meatball sliders, which looked amazing. And it was the last week of both boys being home, and I wanted to make them. So I decided to make them. But what I ended up doing was these were originally based on sticky barbecue chicken meatballs, which seemed to me a little bit easier than dealing with sliders because buns and I don't know. Anyway, meatballs seem easier. Because your household is, well, your husband is vegetarian and gluten-free. Is that what? Yes. I mean, I wasn't going to, he was just getting his own thing. Like there was not really any way to make the, I mean, I guess I could have used ground beef. But he doesn't care for it that much. Yeah. So I was just doing something totally different for him anyway. Okay, you know. good. You didn't modify for him. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to make them in this. I don't know. The idea of making them and then smashing them and cooking it just seemed complicated when I could just make some meatballs and throw them in the oven. That seemed a little easier. So that was what I went with. <laughs> I did make it more complicated by making my own barbecue sauce, which... What from was a smitten kitchen thing, which took all of you know five minutes, was not actually that complicated, but it was one more step. But so the whole thing was delicious, and I cannot all remember what it was it was. They were really very simple for the meatball version. You make the meatballs, very simple, fairly plain meatballs, and then you take your barbecue sauce, you put it in the pan with some water and extra honey, and so make it more saucy. The flavor changes a little bit, and then you cook the meatballs in that sauce for a while. So that was a little bit of extra deliciousness, I got to say. And we served it with rice and some sort of greenery. And I think I ended up doing, oh, I did black beans for the husband. And I kept some of the barbecue sauce back and threw that in. So his were a little more barbecue beans as his protein. So it worked out really well. And the boys very much enjoyed it. I think the chicken meatballs by themselves were not anything amazingly fantastic but the way with the barbecue sauce and the way she doctored it that made it really interesting i think the chicken meatball sliders i feel like there was more barbecue sauce involved directly so it was a little bit of a different experience so i think either of them would be great recipes super easy very quick and really delicious so i enjoyed those and then because it is spring and it is just asparagus all the time, <laughs> so much asparagus going on. So I made an asparagus tofu tangle from I Dream of Dinner Yum. by Ali Slagle. Uh, her recipes are really great. You really need to check out this book. I can't believe you haven't explored it yet because they're, they're really, they're just so easy. You basically, you're roasting it all. And then, so you slice the tofu and, you know, obviously this is one of those things you could use chicken. You put the I'm asparagus. putting it on my library list yes, right please. now. So you you slice up your tofu and put it on a pan. You take your asparagus and a bunch of scallions and put them on the pan, some olive oil and whatnot, and you roast them. And then you make a sauce of lime juice and zest and olive oil and sesame oil. Yum. Cook some soba noodles or rice noodles if you have gluten issues. And then you combine it all and top it with peanuts and mint. So super easy, very summery, very delicious. The problem I the main problem I had is that somehow I ended up with silken tofu instead of firm tofu, which is a totally different taste experience. So it worked out okay. It would definitely be better 
with the firm tofu, I think. Or again, chicken. I mean, probably pork would be great as well. Shrimp. Oh, yeah. Anything, really. I feel like there's lots of ways you could go with this. So that one was really good. And the asparagus, I mean, it's asparagus season. So what's not to love there? Unless I guess you don't like asparagus at all. But then we had more asparagus on Mother's Day and we grilled it, which we'd never done before. And when I say we, I mean my father. (laughs) (laughs) Because he is in charge of the grill at his house, which is fine. Because, you know, my sister and I did everything else. And scallions. And this was a recipe from Jenny Rosenshark, Dinner or Love Story. Because we had never grilled asparagus before, we were trying to put it in a basket because it just it just seemed complicated and uh, very we were very worried about it falling through. So it started off in the basket. Nothing was happening. It was supposed to be really quick and it was not. And so my dad was finally like, well, I mean, it's not going to like if we put it crossways, it's just it's not going to fall through. So he did. I'm like, OK, you're you're the grill master. So he did that and it was great. And then you just squeeze some lemon on it and salt and pepper and whatnot. And it was very tasty. So I think the family enjoyed it. I love grilled asparagus. Yeah, that was very exciting. I love grilled scallions too. Yeah, they were great as well. And I think people were not expecting that they get super sweet. And mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, it's basically like caramelized onions, which is yeah amazing taste sensation. And then finally, I made a cherry pear almond crisp from Julia Tertian. This was the recipe, the dessert from the cooking class that I did, which I still haven't watched, but I've been cooking all of the recipes from that menu. Again, super easy. She uses frozen cherries, which is difficult to find, but a delight. And although it is now cherry season as well. So if you want to pit them all, you could certainly do that as well. Pears, it was such a different combination. I feel like, I guess maybe they are kind of different seasons. So you have to either use the frozen cherries or you got to hit it at that now sweet spot. So it was a really interesting combination. And then the crisp part of it was almond flour and oatmeal and butter and sugar. And you put some almond extract in with the fruit. I mean, it was, there was a lot of butter in it. It was delicious and totally gluten-free. And actually the whole menu for that one was gluten-free. So that was a bonus in my household, but just delicious, I think. You wouldn't even notice. I love almond flour. Yeah, it was Just great. regularly. I like the flavor and the texture of it. It's a little different. It's yeah. like sandy almost, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No, it was it was really great. I don't think my husband is a huge cherry fan, so I don't know that this was his favorite dessert ever, but I really enjoyed it because I do like cherries. So that was super fun. It's been a fun couple of weeks. How about you? Well... Given the goings on, we did a lot of regulars. So not very exciting, but the turkey burgers have made a reappearance, breaded chicken. I, for one, am totally sick of tacos, but they are a household favorite. So I made chicken tacos last night in the slow cooker and chocolate mousse pie, which is such a crowd pleaser. I did pick up Salad Freak by Jess Damuck. It's a really seasonal approach to salads, and it's totally in my vein for how I put together a salad anyway. Is it like big entree salads? Um, Yeah. Could go either way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because she uses a lot of grains and alternate grains, farros and that kind of thing for for building out some of her salad profiles. I really liked it for the dressings. I've only pawed through it a couple of nights now, and I was there were some s- summer salads that really interested me, and I just need to build out my produce list for it. But people might want to take a look at that. 
Yeah, I had not heard of that one. It's kind of fun. I'm not sure that I have any space on my library list to actually request books, but we'll see. Whoa, my library list is super anemic right now. Oh, well, we can talk about that in a minute. Okay. But I did make a big batch of granola. That is another family favorite that I haven't made a batch of granola in a couple years, I think. And apparently, Nathan had grown really accustomed to having yogurt and granola in his dorm cafeteria and requested some. Mine is pretty awesome granola, given the coconut oil and Vermont maple syrup and... (laughs) You know, like, it's pretty good. It's almost veers into dessert territory, if you ask me. You could put it on ice cream. But I was happy to resurrect that recipe. It's a little bit like the granola recipe from Whole Grain Mornings. Who's the author on that? Megan Gordon, I think. Which is another great breakfast-themed cookbook that I adore. So that's what's been on our table. On the nightstand... I have so many books. And then the Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide came out, people. So it was very interesting. I had listened to her podcast for years, and then I kind of fell out of the habit because my TBR was so out of control. It's like, I can't I can't listen anymore. I, there's too many books that I want to read. But I do love the Summer Reading Guide just to see what's, what she recommends. And um, she knows what's coming out a little bit before the rest of us. So, oh yeah, I mean, she starts working on this in October, I think. Right. Um, so she gets she's she's got the information. Usually, it just comes out for free. This year, she is charging for it, which seems totally fair. There's 50 brand new books on this, plus some backlist ideas from previous summer reading guides. You know, some series in there, which ones are really good on audio. I mean, there's so much work that goes into this that it seems totally reasonable. She did release her minimalist picks, which used to be just five books and now is up to 12. So you could totally just read that one. That one's on her um, blog and get plenty of good ideas. I thought about it and thought about it and I said, oh, I really want to see. So you can buy it as a standalone. And so you get the reading guide and you get access to the two unboxing videos that she did where she goes through the books and then people could ask questions about things to get access to those videos as well. And I think that was $15. Or you could join her book club or you could join her Patreon at $5 a month. So I thought, Mm, I'm going to do the Patreon because then I get all of this summer reading guide stuff and she does extra content and you get back access to things like her spring reading guide. So that was all the things that came out January to April. So I have so many (laughs) books now that I want to read. And it was also kind of fun because a lot of things that we have read were on the spring reading guide. Some things that I already have on my, my library hold shelf are on the summer reading guide. There was a bunch of new ones. There were some authors that have books coming out that I didn't know about that, you know, authors that I really like. So it has so far been worth it. Although I'm not sure that I can handle all of the books that I want to read. Well, to that end, I mean, Patreon is not a marriage. You can subscribe for the summer and then pause it for the fall, you know, as your reading list expands and contracts, you can hop in and out of it. And I don't think anybody should feel bad about that because that's the nature of Patreon. I also find it as a platform to be really enjoyable. So I'm glad you mentioned the different options for this because I do think that she provides a tremendous amount of content Mm -hmm. for 
people who read. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun. And it was, it, I enjoyed watching the videos. I think she does a, a fall reading guide as well, books that are coming in the fall. So I'm, I, you know, I look forward to that as well. And I do enjoy hearing what she has to say about the book. So I am, I am pleased with my decision. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how my, my library hold list handles all of this attention. I have so many, so many books going right now. Okay, so, so, anyway, what, you... so what have I actually been reading? <laughs> yeah, it, it's still, it's all a little bit uh, wacky, wacky decisions. But we are still going with strong with a Sue Grafton. Two more Kinsey Milhones, G is for Gumshoe and H is for Homicide. The most important thing about G is for Gumshoe is that Kinsey had a birthday. It opens with her birthday. It's, she's 33 now, not 32. Her birthday is on Cinco de Mayo, if you were wondering. She has a lovely birthday. She gets to move into her new apartment. Her friends throw her a surprise party. She gets a new client. A woman is asking her to go track down her mother who lives off the grid down by the Salton Sea and hasn't been in touch for about five months. And she usually, you know, is in contact. She comes into town and, and calls her daughter once a month or so. And so the woman's a little worried. On the downside, a prisoner has taken out a contract against Kinsey because he blames her. Among other people, there's like four people that are on his hit list. Um, so she has a, a a killer looking for her. So that's a little bit of a bummer. <laughs> a little bit of a downer for her birthday. But overall, she feels pretty good about things. <laughs> that was an enjoyable one. And then H is for Homicide. She is uh, investigating a possible insurance fraud. Uh, a woman has submitted a claim for an auto accident and it's been flagged by the company and they ask her to, to look into it. And then it is just all sorts of things happen. I found both, both of these really interesting because neither of them were really murder mysteries. I mean, people do end up dead and there's some <laughs> investigating goes on, but it's kind of later. And especially the Gia's for Gumshoe was a very slow burn. I mean, the only reason we know something weird is going on is because we're reading this, reading a book. Like she has no idea that there's anything strange. She just thinks it's an old lady who's, you know, talking crazy because she's in her eighties and, you know, old people say crazy things, right? So that was really interesting. And, and that was contrasted with the contract killer trying to hunt her down. So it was it was a really interesting, different, and yet still within the genre kind of book. And H is for Homicide. I enjoyed less. I think she was Sue Grafton kind of leaning into some stereotypes that were probably very prevalent in the 80s. And it wasn't horrible, but there were times when I was like, hmm, we don't say that anymore. So, um, you know, that's occupational hazard with reading older books well that's the new historicism yeah no of it, literary criticism <laughs> yeah no and and i totally appreciate it and, it, and there wasn't anything really awful yeah it was but just it's still a little bit dated, little cringy dated. yeah yeah and actually h's for homicide i had to wait for i don't know a week or so it was not immediately available so someone else is out there reading it i'm i'm listening to a couple other things now and then i will get back back into the series that is that is because of the aforementioned summer reading guide and the the audio guide version. And then another romance, A Week to be Wicked by Tessa Dare. This is another from the the bonkers romance list. So hold on. So Minerva is living in uh, with her sisters and her mom in a small town. And Lord Payne is maybe courting her sister. It's unclear. But she doesn't think that he is a good match for her. So she shows up at his 
castle at midnight in the pouring rain to tell him, you don't need to marry my sister. I've got an alternate proposal for you because he does not get his money until his birthday, which is a few months away, or he gets married. So what she says is, if you will escort me to Edinburgh for the National Geology Society meeting at which I'm going to present, and then I will win a 500 pounds and I will give you all that money and then you can go live in London until your birthday and you can collect the rest of your money and it'll be great. Why does, why does she need him to escort her? Because it's 1814. Ah. And she can't really go by herself. I'm irritated, but carry on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously shenanigans ensue. It was steamy and hilarious. Uh, he is kind of a, a carefree guy who likes to make up stories and doesn't really think through things. So he's, you know, telling people along the road that they belong to a circus and they're a lost crown prince and princess of a small European principality. There was there was a lot of amusement in this book. And, you know, obviously it all it all worked out at the end. Okay, then I don't know, real books, non non genre fiction. Although I guess the first one is kind of fantasy as well. In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Klein. This is his latest. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Hurrah. I think this was on the spring reading guide list. Um, so Modern Mrs. Darcy and possibly the publisher as well describes this as a queer retelling of Pinocchio, which is a very, very short way of describing it that is not incorrect. It is, a, like all of his books, it is about family and love and friendship and discovering who you are and what it means to be human and all of those things that he always does really well. Um, so we are deep in the woods and Geo is an android who is living there. He is a tinkerer. He is a creator and he is living in the woods with two other robots. Uh, one is a, a nursing robot who is <laughs> kind of evil or at least not doesn't is not very nice. Her, her name is Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> because of her the initials of her her robotness which i don't remember offhand but anyway so she's really funny and then there is a small circular vacuum cleaning robot who is named rambo because uh, that's some of the letters that they think they can make out on his body and with them is a human named victor who as a baby was thrust into geo's hands by a fleeing couple who said please take care of him and we'll be back and obviously they haven't come back and it's been 22 years, so it's not looking good for that. So the four of them are living there. They often go off to the trash heaps to look for spare parts and other useful things. And when they are there, they find another android that is not exactly like Geo, but similar, looks like a human. Victor and the other two bring him back, put him in Victor's workshop and don't tell Geo and try and fix him. And from there, the story goes in all sorts of kind of unexpected ways that do reflect the Pinocchio story and adventures. T.J. Klein's stories to me always are this odd mix of almost feeling like young adult fairy tales, but with some very adult language and themes that don't always work for me. <laughs> and this one more so. But I did always want to know what happened. I really cared about these people. People, they're not even people, they're robots. Or maybe they are people. That's kind of the Pinocchio theme there. So definitely, if you like his other books, I think this is in the same vein, explores a lot of the same ideas and issues, and, you know, has that that heartwarming ending that that you would look for. And then I, I did make it through Love in the Time of Cholera. This is one of the books that I kept putting down, Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. 
I started off reading this because of my Storygraph Reads the World Challenge. So this is the book reading website that is independently run. They have a challenge reading books by authors from different countries about that country, theoretically. So I picked this one because I had never read any of his works. So I thought I would try it out. And so many people seem to love them. I did not. (laughs) It was interesting. I started off reading it. I got about halfway through. I was like, ugh, I can't. I don't want to do this. And then I came back to it after a while. Just I thought, I'll pick it up again. I'll see what how it goes. If I'm still not into it, I'm just going to put it down. And the second half, for some reason, I don't know where, just wherever my head was, I did enjoy it more. I still find it very strange and odd, and I'm not sure... I want to take a class on it or read, like, talk to someone about it because I'm just not sure how I'm supposed to feel about it. Like, what is he trying to prove? Is he trying to say, like, there was some weird stuff in there that I did not fully understand what he was trying to get at. So it is the story of a couple, sort of, Florentino Aritza and Fermina Daza, and they fall in love when they're teenagers and they think they're going to get married. And then her dad's against the match. And she eventually turns him down and marries a doctor. And they're married for like 50 years. And this whole time, Florentino is just still carrying a torch for her. And her husband dies. And he shows up a few days later and proposes. And so you get back and forth the history of the two, all the way from when they first meet up through the whole time she's married, you get their whole stories, and then it continues on after he proposes again. And it takes place in Colombia in a sort of, it's a pretend city, but it's based on some other cities. Um, so you do get a lot, and it takes place over such a span of time that you get a lot of Colombian history, which I know nothing about. So that part was really interesting. There were times when I was really into it. I thought, oh, this is great. He's saying some really interesting things. Then he came back with a different thought and that just... I did not enjoy or appreciate. What year was it written? 1985. Hmm. So it's kind of the Sue Grafton, like something here. A little bit, but it, it, I'm pretty sure it's 1985. I want to check because it almost feels like it could be 1958. Well, right. For some of the opinions and I don't know. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad I finished it. I don't know that I'm in love with Marquez's or Garcia Marquez's writing. But I would love to discuss it with people because I know people adore it and it, it did not land for me, which is fine. One that I did enjoy was The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. I know. It took me forever to get to it. Not forever. It's only been since it's, April that I went yeah. to The Cloisters. So it's been two months, three months. Courtney talked about this one already. This is a story of Anne who grows up in eastern Washington, small college town. She's an art history major. Uh, she gets an internship at the Met after she graduates for the summer. She's very excited. She shows up on her first day and the HR person says, oops, your mentor is off in Italy. We don't have any funding for you. But she ends up, they find a spot for her at the Cloisters, which is part of the Met, but not in there. And she's more of a Renaissance, not a medievalist, but whatever. She'll take what she can get. She wants to be in New York. Shenanigans ensue, man. I mean... This one, it was super, it was weird. It was so gothic, but it was really interesting because it's hot. It's a hot gothic novel, (laughs) right? I thought that was so, because usually you think of the moors and, you know, fog and mist and creepy dampness. This is just hot, sweaty New York summer um, with so much going on. And so this was, this was a 
it's hot a, gothic romp. It is a romp. Yeah. So with like tarot cards and yep, so rich weird. people behaving badly and yeah, it was it was really fun. I enjoyed that, and especially having been there. So I'm trying to like imagine all of the the locations. So I'm glad I finally got to read that, and that was yeah, it's, it's definitely a summery kind of book. Totally, it's great for summer. Yeah. How about you? I have two for you. One is a very weird vampire. Ooh. Although they never use the word vampire. I don't know why. Clearly they are. They just don't know what to call themselves. Okay. This is called The God of Endings by Jacqueline. Oh, I just put this on my list. Why? I think it's from the Summer Reading Guide or the Spring one. How weird. Yeah, uh, it must be the Spring one. Okay. I don't know how I found it. Yeah. Not the Summer... Not the reading guide yet, because yeah. I haven't done that. But anyway. So I'm fascinated to hear. Jacqueline Holland yeah. is the author. This is a story about Colette, who's about 200 years old. And she is an artist, first and foremost. And Oh, right, because I was going to tell you, because uh -huh. she talks about the yeah. artist. I was like, oh, I have to talk about Yeah, there's about great, yeah. great artistic process notes in this book, which are too brief for me, because... That's what I sign up for. And then the the gothic vampire stuff. Every time you read a novel like this, you have to learn the rules of this particular family of vampires. And it's a little... She's super lonely. And she has these increasing appetites. And she's not sure how to quench her thirst, if you will. And she's a like a preschool teacher. And so... You're kind of on the edge of your seat. Like, are these kids in danger? And she's trying to keep herself in check. There are really elegant shifts back and forth in time so that you can see how her her values have developed over, over the years. She, in the present day, she's childless and she has lost her, I don't necessarily want to spoil this, she cannot have children. I'll leave it at that. And she really takes this young boy in her school under her wing, metaphorically, and is trying to help him out because his parents are a mess. And she's trying to help him process the grief of losing an older sibling and potentially the divorce of his parents. And the parents are very weird, more rich people behaving badly scenarios. As she grows closer to this boy, her own physiology is changing and she's so unsure of herself. And so we're at the crux of what's happening to her. I was sort of nervous for the boy as things unfold. It is a quiet, weird vampire novel. <laughs> That's how I'm going to leave it. I very much enjoyed it. It's kind of long, too. Oh, okay. And then my other super long one was Booth by Karen Joy Fowler. Karen Joy Fowler wrote, We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves, which I thought was brilliant and very slim. This is also brilliant and very not slim. This is a story about the life and family of John Wilkes Booth, who famously assassinated Abraham Lincoln. The book is 
a fictional biography based on tremendous research about the Booth family, who many of whom were very famous stage performers in a time when that was celebrity in America was to be a... Yeah, his brother was hugely famous. And his father, too. Oh, okay, yeah. And a lot of the book was based on reviews from his father and brother's performances. And then the sisters in the family had also kept letters and notes. And one had written a memoir, three books, actually, about the family in different in different ways. Asia, I think was her name. And so that, the, that was all source material for Karen Joy Fowler. This is not a book that's going to make you fall in love with the Booths in any respect. And I was perplexed at times. I just have no sympathy. This family is so dysfunctional in some ways, and it was kind of a hard read. And then after I had finished it, I was listening to an interview with Ruth Ozeki and Karen Joy Fowler, and she explained her impetus for writing and her creative process behind this book was that it was during yet another spate of mass shootings in America, school shootings. And she felt like, what is it like to be the family member of a, of a shooter? You're vilified by the public and not wrongly, you know, but you're also not guilty of it. Like you, what is it like to be the family member of a person like that? And so she went to one of the most famous shootings in American history. And that is how she fell into this incredibly rich rabbit hole. I think knowing that piece of it for me helps me see this book in a slightly different light. You know, I do have more sympathy for the sisters now and the mother in a way that wasn't fully fleshed out before knowing that. So yeah, not the greatest way to end the the on the nightstand, but I feel like it's an important and timely book, even though from first blush, it feels like a historical retelling of a family drama. But I think that knowing the context, you know, the new historicism approach, know what's going on for the author in the time of the writing of the book makes the book more fleshed out for me as a reader. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. All right, bingo. It is time, people. Bingo starts slash started Friday, May 26th, and will end on Monday, September 4th. You have buckets of time. So much time. You need to get yourself a bingo card. It will be posted on our Instagram and you can grab a screenshot there or you can email us, DM us, all those good things and ask for us to email you a PDF copy that you can print out and play around with. To enter for fabulous prizes, you need to post a photo of your completed bingo on Instagram with the hashtag CCRRSummerBingo2023 or post a photo on our Ravelry thread, which is already up. And some people have been chatting. So yes, join us there as well. And if you want to do a second entry, uh, post a photo of your blackout. And it is not required that you show us what you're working on, but we would love to see it. That is the best part, is seeing how people interpret 
the bingo squares. It's always so fun. Yeah, take take liberty here. I mean, we we are just trying to give you fun guidelines to sort of play with, like inspiration. One square is try canning or preserving. I don't mean that you have to make 48 jars of strawberry jam. I mean, you could do some quick pickled onions. Yeah. Simple. There are three bird themed squares, which if you're not into birds and you make something black, call it blackbird. <laughs> it's your blackbird sweater or whatever. You know, like you can you can really stretch this to fit your own whims, if you will. And also, as a bonus this year, we are going to have uh, a bird prize. So if you do all three of the bird-themed squares, post us a photo of that as well, and we're going to have a separate bird-themed prize. It will will likely be a really fun painting of a bird. But who knows? But who knows? There could be something else in there. Flexible. We're very flexible. Yep. Have fun. And enjoy your summer. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.